The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Amen. Aren't you glad you didn't start your spring break vacation to miss this? I uh, thank you guys for leading us in worship. What a wonderful reminder of the power of God that the resurrection points us to. I uh, don't know if you're familiar with how we do things here, but we, we believe that the Bible is God's Word, and so we pretty much study God's Word. I mean, if you've got God's Word, uh, that's, there's nothing else we can do more important than to study it and learn what God has to say to us. And so we work through books of the Bible, and uh, we've been working through the book of Hebrews, and today we come to chapter 12, and uh, we're looking at just a few verses in 12 verses 12 through 17, and what we've been learning in the book of Hebrews is important to understanding uh, what the author is saying to us today, so I want to review for a minute. Uh, the writer of Hebrews uh, has been looking at the Old Testament, the first portion of your scriptures, and teaching us, understanding that all of that in light of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he's looking back and he's been explaining to us the meaning of of Christ and the significance of his life, his death, and, and why he died and why he was risen from the grave. And what we've learned is that all of the Old Testament priests and the sacrificial system point to Christ. And he's been teaching us to apply those things to Christ and, and to learn how his death is equivalent to the, the death of the sacrifices that the priests offer, learn how he's the great high priest pictured in the, the high priest of the Old Testament. And so let's just think about what was going on then, and then that'll help us understand the significance of Jesus. And what we see is God wanted to dwell among his people, but the problem is they're sinful. All of us are sinful. God is holy. He cannot exist in the presence of sin and, and not have it, it take care of it, and the wrath poured out without a provision. And he has declared that provision is blood, innocent blood shed for sinners, and so what he did until Christ came, he provided temporary provision. And that temporary provision was priests who interceded between God and man. God set aside the priests and they were to sacrifice the blood of animals on behalf of the sinful people. And that blood covered the sin temporarily so that God could dwell in their midst. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, God lived in a building, if you will. His glory dwelled in the center of their camp called the Holy of Holies. No one was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies without going the way God prescribed. And that was the high priest. He alone could go in there after and only after sacrificing an animal's blood for his own sin because he was sinful. And so after covering his own sin with the blood, he would go into the Holy of Holies where God was and he would sacrifice an animal and lay that blood and that sacrifice on the altar in the Holy of Holies. And this was done once a year on the Day of Atonement and that blood atoned for the sin of the people. It, it covered the sin of the people with a temporary covering so that God could dwell in their midst. But it had to be repeated year after year. Every year the priest repeated that because it wasn't a sufficient sacrifice. But it pointed to the one who would be the great high priest, referring to Jesus, who would sacrifice the perfect sacrifice, and that being himself, 
on the cross. And so what we see in Jesus, Jesus is God's great high priest interceding on behalf of man before God, saying, I offer my perfect, sinless, spotless, eternal blood on behalf of sinners. And so those who believe that, those who believe God accepts the blood of Jesus on their behalf are reconciled with God, have the glory of God brought to them. They dwell with God. And that is the purpose of the death of Jesus on the cross. And so today on Easter, we celebrate the resurrection and we kind of have to think, why is it that everyone stops? I mean, of all Sundays of all year, this is the Sunday that we stop and say, no matter what, I'm getting to church. Why is this such a big deal? And the answer is the resurrection validates everything I just said. Uh, we're, we're making some crazy claims here, folks. I mean, the Bible says some things that either it's true or it's insane. There's no in-between. God entered this world with flesh, offered the only acceptable sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. He was crucified on the cross for that purpose. He was buried and he rose again and... Thousands and hundreds of people saw him, investigated this, and it changed their life. His half-brother James was like, this dude's crazy. You're my brother. Don't tell anybody else this. You're telling people you're God. Stop. That will get you killed. But it changed his life when he saw his own half-brother raised from the grave. And he ended up giving his life for the same cause, saying, my brother Jesus was God in flesh. He rose from the grave. And see, that's what happens when we get this message, and that's what the writer of Hebrews has been doing. The first 10 chapters, he's kind of been elaborating that point, the purpose of his death, burial, resurrection. And then he's been saying, if you get this, if you believe this, if you're here today because you're claiming, I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, he's saying, it will change your life. It will change your life like James. It will change your life because it will bring new life. The resurrection is all about new life, and it, it brings life to the soul. It brings new life to our, our minds and hearts. It gives us new desires, new directions, and new life. In fact, what we're going to see today, it brought new life to what we call the body of Christ, meaning the church, meaning believers, all who profess faith in Jesus Christ are become children of God. Therefore, we are brothers and sisters and the scriptures calls it the, the body of Christ, carrying out the will of God on this earth in his physical absence. And so today, the writer of Hebrews continues what he's been doing in the last chapter or two, saying, so here's how you live in light of the resurrection. And that's what he does. Is today on Easter services, as we celebrate the resurrection, he's answering the so what? What implications should this have on you? This should change the way you live. And he's been talking about it beginning in Hebrews 12. He's been talking about it in terms of an endurance race. He says this life after faith in Christ, after trusting in the Easter message about Jesus, this life is lived by faith. It's not lived limited to what you can see and touch and feel. It's lived by believing what God says in his word, believing in the unseen realities that he has presented in scriptures that creates a whole new worldview, a whole new mindset, a whole new perspective that changes the way you think and act and operate in your businesses and your families and all areas of your life. And he says, but it's by faith. 
Now, that's hard. It's a lot easier to, to go by what you can touch and feel, isn't it? But if, if, if it takes faith, it's hard. And he says, and it's not a sprint. This is not a short-term race. This is a lifelong race. It's an endurance race. And he said, run with endurance. Run with perseverance, this race of faith, this long-distance run of faith. And we talked about how Luke insanely ran to Ruston, basically, running an ultramarathon. I mean, I have a hard time driving to Ruston without getting tired. He ran to Ruston. And it's an endurance race. And in that race, the race of faith, we're going to see today, he commands us to help each other in the race. And he warns us to help each other in that race. And that's what we're going to look at today. He's, he's commanding us and he's warning us that we need to run this race, but run it with other brothers and sisters so that we can help each other. Let's look at our, our text. First, the commands to, to help each other run the race of endurance. We see this in the first few verses, 12 through 14. In these verses, we see three verbs where he is commanding, the Lord is commanding believers these three things, to strengthen, to make straight paths, and to pursue now, let's look at those verbs. First of all, strengthen. He says, strengthen, you all strengthen. It's the second person, plural. Y'all strengthen. That's Southern, right? Y'all strengthen, y'all make straight paths, and y'all pursue peace. So before we even go into the meaning of these commands, let's notice something. It's to y'all. It's to us. This race that we're running, this endurance race, it's not a solo run. It's not you and you're, if you're married and you have a family and, and if you're a man trying to lead your family, it's not a man leading his family stumbling and bumbling through the woods by himself. Or, or perhaps a single mom off all by herself trying to bring those kids along and, and, and trying to do the best she can all by herself. The Lord says, that's not what I want for you. I don't want you to run this race by yourself. You might be able to do a sprint by yourself, but you don't run an endurance race by yourself. And so it's, it's a plural, collective. He's saying, I want all of you to do these things. I want you to do it together. So the Christian life, those of us who claim to believe in the resurrection of Christ, his resurrection gave life to the body of Christ. And so as individuals, we're incorporated into a body of Christians, into a, a pack of runners. Like the Boston Marathon and, or the New York Marathon, you see them in a pack piled up together, and they start and they go and they run as a pack. We've all seen those races. Maybe it's the cycling races where they'll be announcing, it. well, this one guy just broke away from the pack. He will never make it. You know, he's gonna, he's, he thinks he's going to make it, but the pack's going to catch him. Isn't that amazing? And that's the way it is in the Christian life. God designed us to run in the pack. And so he's saying, you all three times do these commands. The first thing he's telling all of us to do is in verse 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. You see, he continues the race analogy. He's saying when you are running an endurance race, you are going to get tired. Your knees are going to get weak and your hands are going to get weak and you're going to start doubling over. And that's literally the idea of doubling over from weakness. And he's saying in the Christian life, when you're double over in weakness, you better have brothers and sisters spotting that and saying, come on, man, 
and straightening you back up. That's the idea of strengthen, to straighten back up. The same word Jesus used in the New Testament when it, it describes him healing a woman who was doubled over in weakness from being sick her whole life. When Jesus healed her, it says he strengthened her. He straightened her back up. And so what he's saying, first of all, to us, he's not recommending this. He's not suggesting it. He's, the Lord's commanding those of us who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he's commanding us to be in the pack and to be scanning the pack and looking for those who are doubled over in exhaustion and discouragement and despair or in tired or whatever the case may be and go alongside them and strengthen them back up. That's, that's, that's a blessing, isn't it? I mean, what a blessing to know that I've got people that when they see me wore out and tired, they're going to come alongside me and they're going to spur me on and they're going to encourage me and they're going to build me back up. That's the gift of the resurrection, the the gift of the body of Christ. So not only does he say to strengthen each other, to strengthen and straighten each other up, but he also says in verse 13 to make straight paths for your feet. Again, that's plural. You all need to make straight paths for each other's feet so that the limb which is lame will not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. On the race, if something's about to be popped out of socket, he's saying, listen, we got to get each other, keep each other on the path so that we can bring healing to each other. And so that idea of making a straight path is more literally translated, uh, continually, actively working hard to make sure that everyone stays the course. In fact, he's drawing from Proverbs. In Proverbs 4, we see what he's meaning when he says, make your path straight. Listen to what he says. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Remember, he said, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you and watch the path of your feet and watch all of your ways that all of your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or turn to the left or turn your foot from evil. So here he's saying that As runners, sharing in this struggle, this endurance race, constantly be scanning each other's lives. And if you see me about to fall into the path of sin, or any sin is simply anything contrary to the will of God. If you see me leading off a path that's away from God's will for my life, please say something. Don't be politically correct. Don't think you're being nice by keeping quiet. I'm telling you, I'm not just in theory. I'm telling you, Tracy Graham is asking you, speak into my life. And that's how the church works. We all have blind spots. When we're driving, I'm teaching my young child to drive. She's young, 16-year-old to drive. And I'm like, there's blind spots. I'm telling don't ever sit right here in someone's blind spot. Because they don't see you and they come over and they hit you. We all have blind spots in life. And I'm telling you, if you see something going on in my blind spot, love says, watch out. You see me getting off into sin or tempted to go a wrong route. I want you to speak into my life. And that's what he is commanding all of us to do is keep each other on the path. My father-in-law has run many, many marathons. I still don't understand how this happens, but I remember him telling me stories that he's running a marathon. And I said, how'd you do? He said, well, I did great. The only problem is I got off the track and I got disqualified. I'm like, how do you get off the route? 
But that's what happens in life. If we get off the, the path, we could be disqualified and, and, and never finish the race. And so the author is saying, keep each other from sin, keep each other from anything that would keep you, that would get you off the path and stay in the path. In fact, he's quoting from, uh, he, from Isaiah. Let me read to you Isaiah 35, both of these verses. He's quoting from Isaiah 35, and we see the same concept. And, and he says, encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. He's talking about the day that the Lord is going to come back. And Isaiah the prophet is saying, in light of the fact that our Lord will come back, encourage the exhausted, strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, and the recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and then the lame will leap leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water in the haunt of jackals, its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes. And listen to this. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. And so what he's saying is this endurance race from the resurrection of Jesus to the second resurrection where the Lord resurrects the dead, the path that we're running is the highway of holiness. And he's saying, keep each other on the highway of holiness. Help heal, bring about a temporary healing so that that person will reach the goal and receive ultimate healing. Be one who ministers to each other now so that when they ultimately finish the race, they receive full ministry of the grace of God. And so the point he says is strengthen each other, keep each other on the highway of holiness. And then finally in our commands, the third command, he says pursue. Pursue with all men, uh, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So here he's saying, in the community of faith, I want you to pursue. And that word pursue is to give it all you got. He's saying, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you should give your life to this race. You can't halfway run to Ruston. You can't just decide tomorrow, I think I'll try, maybe I won't. It's all out Give it all you got. Pursue. That means to, like businessmen, it's like seeing the deal of a lifetime. Knowing, okay, they're about to sell me the mineral rights to this land, and they're not valuing it. I can buy it. I've already got them lined up to give me the bonus check. I will make sure I get this piece of land. It's pursuing it with all you got. It's, it's a young man pursuing the woman of his dreams. It's saying, I have got to spend time with them. I have got to see her. I've got to be with her. I've got to text her, Instagram her, Snapchat her, whatever, Facebook her, be with her. I will never be away from her, right? Yeah, see, I I was trying to get all those devices that y'all use. But that's devotion. That's pursuing with intensity and passion and focus and energy. The Lord's saying, "If if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, and that's the power that gives you new life to live, 
then pursue him and his holiness and his peace with all your might, your strength, your passion, and your focus. So he's saying, run the race. Run it well. Run it hard. Be disciplined. Give it all you got. Don't just halfway do this thing. And so he's got hard commands for us. He won't let us just come and celebrate the resurrection and then kind of meander back into our life and take it lightly. So he's telling us, command, command, command. Do these things. And if that wasn't enough, now the tone changes a bit in the last section where he changes from commands to warnings. He warns us to help each other run the race in verses 15 through 17. In verse 15, look what he says. He says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That's scary. That is scary. There's a passage in Hebrews that says, uh, follow the leaders of your church for they give account for your soul. That's scary. And so he's saying, crazy enough, your obedience to those three commands as the body of Christ, as someone who's professed faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he's saying your obedience to that is how you see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. You're a means of the grace of God. That's an amazing concept that me speaking truth into your life, if I see sin in your life, that's part of God's way of keeping you from getting disqualified. Me encouraging you when I see you tired, that's part of God's grace being dispensed into your life. You speaking into my life, we speaking into each other's life. In other, in other words, if someone in our body, someone claims to, to believe in the resurrection and we just let them go and just ignore them and don't really care, the Lord's saying, I wanted you to, to bring them into my grace. I wanted you to dispense the grace that I pour. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. All of God's favor has been poured into your life, not because you merit it, not because you deserve it, not because you earn it, but only if you have trusted in Christ. He gives you all the blessings of of the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places are yours in Christ. That's unmerited. And now he's saying, now why did I pour that into you? Because I want you to pour it into one another. I want you to see to it that nobody falls short of the grace of God. And so we are the means of God's grace. In Ephesians 4, 7, and then 12 and 13, it says, But to each one of us who trust in Christ, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And down in verse 12, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You have received the grace of God in order to pour the grace of God into each other's lives so that nobody falls short of the finish line where full healing and ultimate grace is in Christ when we meet Him and we're continuing in faith. How do we do that? What's the concern? He warns us about this idea of the root 
of bitterness that springing up brings about all kinds of problems. He says it in the second half of verse 15, See to it that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. The root, how many of you looked at your yard when it finally stopped raining last week and said, I'm going to kill the weeds? And then it occurred to you, if I kill the weeds, I will have no yard because there is no grass. It's all weeds. And how do we get rid of those weeds? Is it just mow over it and it's gone? No, we probably are a little bit happy for the rain because we got out there, we mowed it, and then we walked back and forth and spread the weed and feed out because we know that weed killer gets down and kills it at the root. You have to attack it at the root. And he's saying as believers, we help each other attack sin and problems at the root. We get in each other's lives and we say, man, let's deal with this in the gospel. The gospel is the weed killer. The gospel is what we have to offer each other to root out the weeds in our life, to get it at the root. If we don't deal with it, what happens? The weed grows up, it springs up, and it defiles the yard. It ruins the yard. And so he's saying, listen, we need each other to deal with those root level issues. I need you. I can't do that on my own. I lie to myself on my own. I deceive myself on my own. I think I'm a great, great at loving people until I have to actually love a human being. I get along with everybody until one of you gets on my nerves. And then I realize, okay, I got to love the way Christ, I need the Lord's grace to love. And then we go to the Word of God, we pray for each other, we remind each other the truth, we take the gospel, and we root out the problems. He's saying, if you don't do that, if you're not busy rooting that out in our lives... Some people are going to fall short of the grace of God. Some people aren't going to get to the finish line. There's safety and protection and blessing in the pack of runners, in the local church. And so he's saying, be careful. If you don't do these things, if you don't do it, then you're not going to see to it, and some things are going to go wrong. And then finally, he finishes out his warnings with an example of Esau. In his warnings, he he warns us, he says, and, and he says in verse, he said, where is it? In verse 16, let there be no immoral godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. And the way it's written, he's emphasizing he sold his birthright for one single meal. So what's the story of Esau? How can we learn from this? We see in Genesis chapter 25, the story of Jacob and Esau. They were twins, but Esau came out just a little bit first, so he's the oldest. Esau, being the oldest, had the birthright of his father. That meant he was entitled to special blessings and a double inheritance of his father's fortune. So imagine that's you. You have been told your father is going to give you a massive inheritance. You're getting twice as much as anybody else in the family. And you go out hunting. This is what Esau did. He went out hunting and he came back from the hunt and he is famished, it says. He is starving. And he despised his birthright. I don't care. I'm sure he took it for granted. He didn't care. He despised it. And so when he was starving, the immediate need, the immediate hunger, the hunger of his flesh caused him to sell his birthright to his brother for one single meal. That's the definition of foolishness. It's not appreciating the value 
of the inheritance because we're blinded by the immediate situation. He's saying, let me warn you, if you don't gather with the body, if you don't run the race with the pack, I'm warning you, you might make the same mistake. And we see in the scriptures, Jesus makes a similar warning. He says, I want to warn you about something. He says, a lot of people seem to to have something happen when they, they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word is given to them like a seed. It's planted And initially, it seems like they respond in faith. It seems like they're good. They they believe. But then he warns, but something happens. He says later in Mark 14, later they let the worries of the world. This is the current hunger pains that Esau had, similar to... uh, He says later they let the worries of the world and they let the deceitfulness of riches and they let the desires of other things... Enter in and choke out the gospel word. So do you see what Jesus is saying? It's the same thing that the writer of Hebrews is warning us about. He's saying, listen, you claim you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, be careful that you don't let the current worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the current hunger pains and desires and worries and struggles of this life cause you to act foolish and forfeit all the inheritance that God has in store for you. He's saying don't do that. And the way you see to it that you don't do that is you get in the pack of runners. You get in the pack of runners... You stay connected to the body of Christ that was created at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He left this earth. He ascended to the throne of God, it says, and he sat down saying, it's done. No more sacrifices are needed. And now he's saying, I give life to this body of mine on earth filled with the spirit of God. The presence of God is among man who believe in Christ. And now they become his body to finish his work on this earth. And this work on his earth is a life of faith and it's an endurance race. And he says, run with perseverance, but not by yourself. Run with the pack. Run with the body because that's the protection. That's the means of grace with which we help each other when we're tired. We keep each other from sin and we spur each other on to run with all diligence. But he's saying, I want to warn you. If you don't get in that, it's dangerous. And some are going to let the, the root rise up and that poisonous plant's going to choke out the gospel that you once believed. And you're not going to reach the inheritance. You're not going to finish in faith. And you're going to forfeit the blessing. And he says, look at Esau. And that's a foolish mistake to make. So my prayer is for all of us who are here today celebrating the resurrection. I pray that this word that the Lord had planned for the message for this day would be that all of us would see the value of locking arms with other runners and saying, you know, the one thing I, I hate, this is, this is bonus material. The one thing I hate about Easter, I was tempted to stand up here in shorts and a t-shirt today because the one thing I hate about Easter is when all these people come we all put on our best behavior, put on our best clothes. This is the best I got, sorry. 
And it's like saying, that's what church is. Church is all about acting like we are all beautiful, happy, shiny people. That's a lie. Church is broken people saying, I am a sinner, and but by the grace of God, I have been saved, not by anything I've done, but Christ saved me when I trusted him, and we need each other. And so I hope that that's appealing to you. And if it's not this church, then find a church. Find a church that says the word of God is the word of God. The gospel is what we just talked about, unmerited favor. Plug in and run the race with them. Because to be outside of that is hard, it's lonely, it's difficult, and it's dangerous. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we praise you for giving life, resurrection life. You gave life to the body of Christ. And Lord, we need the body of Christ, every single one of us. None of us is strong enough in our own strength to run outside by ourselves down a lonely path in the woods where there's no one to help me if I stumble no one watching my blind spots, no one warning me of sin and bad paths. I'm trying to take a wrong path. No one encouraging me to give it all I got and keep on keeping on and endure to the end. No one reminding me of the truth of God's grace when I stumble saying, hey, God covers you with his blood. Get up and keep running. Lord, we need that, all of us. And I pray today that that is a beautiful picture of of the body of Christ and that all of us are attracted to to participate and connect and be a part, lock arms together to run this race together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this glorious message that you've preserved for us in your word. And I pray that we are challenged and encouraged to live for your glory. And it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.